Hello and welcome to the Culture Watch Podcast, a podcast of speaking for him. My name is Andrew Gomison, and each and every week, I have the privilege of being your host to walk you through some current events and news stories and look at them from a biblical perspective because we are in the world, but we are called not to be of the world, so we should have a proper response to the things that are going on around us. Also, it's important to note that every political issue is a moral issue, and so we need to have a proper response to it. I'm really glad that you are here, and I'm excited to share with you news from the week of January 22nd. Today we start with talking about some presidential election-related news. You know that 2024 brings with it a presidential election at this point Joe Biden is running for re-election on the Democratic side, hoping to capture another four years in the White House. But there are many people on even the Democratic side that aren't pleased with having Biden as their choice for 2024. And one name that has come up on a repeated basis is the name of Michelle Obama. Speculation growing in the meantime that Michelle Obama could jump into the 2024 race. An op-ed in the New York Post says the following. The plans are to grab Michelle for the Democratic presidency choice. Making the music is Barack the orchestra leader. The Obamas are now nudging to force slow-mo Joe to go. Drop out. It's like, who else is there? Joe Concha is a Fox News contributor and columnist for The Messenger. And Joe joins me live on set. Joe, Cindy Adams is the gossip columnist who wrote this very famous institution yes. here in New York, but she is often in the know. Thoughts on this theory? 93-year-old Cindy Adams. I read her when I was growing up. It's great to see that she's still active. This is a scenario, Todd, that we're hearing more and more about. Democratic National Convention, July, Chicago, the Obama's hometown. Joe Biden, for whatever reason, says he can't run for re-election anymore and drops out. And then superdelegates and delegates, they decide that Michelle Obama will be the nominee because they look at polling from YouGov, for example. She is currently, right now, in 2024, the most popular woman in the world. The media will swoon over this. No one will care about the fact that, hey, the party that says they want to save democracy just took the right for voters to decide who their nominee is going to be and allowing superdelegates and delegates to decide this instead. But I say this fails because if she is the nominee, what is Michelle Obama's resume exactly? She was a lawyer decades ago. She's now a producer for Netflix. What is her position on spending and taxes and crime and the border? Remember Barack Obama, what was he called? The deporter in chief. So will she adopt that policy again? Because I'm pretty sure Democrats won't like that very much. And with the world on fire, China, Iran, Ukraine, what are her positions there? In other words, all foam, no beer, all sizzle, no steak. I'm not sure Michelle Obama candidacy can even save this party from the current conditions on the ground right now. But Joe, she toes the party line, which as we heard from Kamala the other day is one word, scared. Listen. Oh boy. What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter. Okay, let's look at this one issue at a time. First of all, I want to talk about superdelegates. As far as I know, there's no such thing as a Republican superdelegate, but somehow 
the Democrats came up with this idea of superdelegates, which meant that they could supersede the idea of people being able to cast their vote for a candidate and having that candidate win their state's primary. We saw it uh, in the past where Bernie Sanders won some states, I believe in 2016, over Hillary Clinton, but she still won the states thanks to the superdelegates. I don't understand how all that works. I just know that that is a reality that the Democrats dealt with. So people struggled with the idea of not getting their candidate on board. The second thing I want to mention here is that the Democrats are all up in arms and saying that they want to get Trump off the ballot. Several states are attempting to remove him from the ballot, and that is seen as completely okay from the Democratic side, even though if someone tried to get Joe Biden removed from the ballot, they would scream foul. We need to have uniformed rules for the way we run elections. You can't say that we should just be able to remove someone we don't like without following the normal process. In order to install Mrs. Obama as a candidate this late in the game, they would have to remove Joe Biden from consideration and most likely nominate her at the convention after having not run a campaign and she would not have the opportunity to pursue the will of the people or to become the will of the people through the election process. Now, according to that one poll that was mentioned, she's apparently one of the most popular women in the country or the world right now, which I have a hard time believing. Nobody asked me for the record. I would never say that about her. But apparently a lot of people think that she is this great woman and might be an asset to the White House. Obviously, I don't agree with her ideologically. I never agreed with her husband on the vast majority of things, and so I would not want her to be the next president, but definitely not if she's not going to follow the process to be elected. We have processes in place for a reason. The next thing that I want to mention is why would Michelle Obama pursue the presidency when she is well known for having said that the White House felt like a prison? Why would you want to go back to prison? I do not understand why that would be the case. We are in full primary gear now. We saw uh, the Iowa caucus take place and now we're headed to New Hampshire, and we will see how things shake out. I'm a little disappointed in the way that this presidential campaign has unfolded in the sense that people were already writing off candidates before people were able to even vote in primaries. And I think one thing that the media has to be cognizant of is that there are people that hang on your every word. There are people that are going to listen to you when you say that someone doesn't have a chance instead of going out and voting who they feel is the best candidate. And so I'm hoping that people are still able to go out to the polls and to voice their opinion on the presidential primary, among other issues that are coming up. In Michigan, that primary will take place on February 27th, and I am looking forward to casting my vote. But I just have to say something that I said repeatedly in 2020, 
when you give somebody unilateral power to make decisions for you and you agree with them, it's fine. But when you disagree with them, it's scary. So it doesn't matter if I agree with someone ideologically or not, I still do not want to give them the power to make decisions that are not in their constitutional purview. Because I think it's important that we realize that the Constitution is the guardrails upon which our constitutional republic is based. If we don't have the Constitution, if we don't have the freedom to vote for who we want to vote for and to make our voices heard, then we lose democracy. You know, the Democrats talk about how democracy is in danger and they're the ones who want to take someone from the ballot. They talk about how democracy is in danger and they're the ones who want to place someone in at the last minute to take over for the candidate that is the incumbent because they don't like him. Now, do I think that he should end his campaign and step down after this term? Probably. He has not shown himself to be competent to run a country. Uh, he's basically been the figurehead for what the liberal agenda wants to do. But I don't think that it should be a situation where they can place a candidate in place at the last minute and basically force the Democrats' hand to vote for this person who has had no opportunity to campaign and who has not successfully articulated a single position that is important to the American people. And also, as I said, why would you want to put someone in the White House who hated being there as First Lady? It just does not seem to add up to being a good thing. As we continue on in our look at the news, we look at the failings of Mr. Mayorkas, the head of the Department of Homeland Security. Authorities in Texas are now arresting migrants who illegally swim across the Rio Grande into Eagle Pass. Governor Greg Abbott signed a law allowing police to arrest and charge people suspected of entering the country illegally. Additional razor wire has also been put at Eagle Pass Crossing in defiance of the Biden administration who issued a cease and desist order. This has Biden and cabinet members will be hosting their Mexican counterparts in Washington today to address the border. As Democratic mayors speak out over how the crisis is plaguing their cities. Watch. We are also a city right now that is facing a humanitarian crisis and a fiscal crisis unlike anything we've seen in the last 25 years. Um, and that is a result of what we know is the ongoing influx of uh, migrant arrivals who are seeking asylum. So what is Congress going to do? Meanwhile, lawmakers on Capitol Hill fight over the lack of a full-term spending bill, keeping the proper resources from reaching our border. Texas Congressman Chip Roy with some strong words on the House floor yesterday. Watch. We are sitting here doing the same thing again. It is Groundhog Day in the House chamber all the time, every day. Yet again, spending money we don't have. So today's meeting in D.C. is supposed to begin at noon today. Um, obviously, this is something that we got to deal with. Uh, Texas law finally into effect. And it doesn't look like the governor is going to change course on this, guys. 
You know, you've been down there a lot. You've heard these stories. And yesterday we had a chance to hear some of these stories because uh, two moms were in front of Congress. They were upset that Mayorkas didn't show up for the hearing, but they talked about their stories. One mom said that her daughter had, and it's not, this, this is uh, Josephine, but another mom, Tammy Noble, said her daughter was uh, in her own bedroom mm-hmm. and was uh, raped and then strangled with a cord by an MS-13 gang member who's here illegally and said, she had just turned 20 years old a few days ago, and she said, I got the news that no mother ever wants to hear that your daughter is dead. And this woman, Josephine Dunn, her daughter died from fentanyl, which we know, coming across the southern border. Listen. In my humble opinion, Mr. Mayorkas's border policies is partially responsible for my daughter's death. His wide open border policy allows massive quantities of poisonous fentanyl into our country. My family is broken. My heart is broken. And he couldn't even be here to face me today. Whatever he's doing that is more important than facing me today, I don't know what that could be. Oh, you're hearing stories, and it's not we're looking back and saying, Matt, that was a tragedy then. It's not like we're looking back at a past war. This is ongoing. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw the story. ICE came out and gave a report that they had to let a known rapist go in Boston, in the Boston area, despite our filing an immigration detainer. The individual is released back into the community by the criminal court. So our, our courts are letting us down. Our policy to diminish and uh, emasculate ICE is letting us down. And it's leaving people, Democrats and Republicans, vulnerable on the street. We see this all the time where people commit heinous crimes and then we find out that they are illegal immigrants who are not in any way under the laws of this country. And then prosecutors let them out of jail, let them out of the country, simply deport them and think that they solved the problem. The other aspect that I want to talk about is the fact that if you are the director of Homeland Security, you should care about your homeland and you should care about security. This seems like a no-brainer, but for Mayorkas, it surely is not. And I looked him up, and he is from Cuba. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that you can't come from Cuba and have a high view of America and serve America with distinction and be proud to be an American. I'm not going to say that because I believe you can. But I have to wonder if the fact that he is from Cuba means that he is soft on the people that want to come here. Let's not make any mistakes, folks. The reality is that not every single person that crosses that border is someone that simply wants a better life in America. We, we've had this discussion when we talk about people coming across the border with children. Because we say don't separate children from their parents. And surely, on the face of it, that sounds like a good plan. Don't separate children from their parents. But how many stories have we heard about people that kidnap children and take them across the border pretending that they are the parent of that child because they will be looked on 
in a better way if they come across with a child. Let's be real about border security. Let's realize that border security is an important part of making America a great place to live and of making America a safe place to live. These mothers that were mentioned in this piece, this mother that gave her tearful testimony in this piece, is begging the United States of America to take a hardline stand on illegal immigration in this country. I've talked about this a lot, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But we need two things. Number one, we need to realize that as much as we want to welcome people in to this country, it's okay to have standards. It's okay to have strong guidelines for if you want to come here. And number two, we need to quit kicking the can down the road and we need to actually get into the halls of Congress and come up with common sense legislation to make the immigration process better because it does need to be better. But you don't make it better by leaving the holes in the border wall. You simply don't. We need to shore up the border and then we need to come together and come up with common sense legislation on immigration so that when people come to America who really want to come to America, they can get here without the immense hassles and red tape that they often face right now. We need this. And we need to not be ashamed to protect America. We need to be grateful for what America is and to continue to preserve it and to continue to fight for it to be great, a shining city on a hill that people can be encouraged by and people can want to come to. People who are in America don't understand how great they have it. They talk about the oppression of America. They talk about the racism of America. And yet, when countries open up for people to be able to leave and come to another country, one of the highest countries on the list is America. But we face a great problem here in that we have people that come to America and then seek to change America back to the place that they came from. Back to the policies of the place that they came from. So we need people not simply that want to come to America, but people that want to come to America because of what America stands for. And that is something that I will continue to talk about and advocate for as long as I have breath in my lungs. It's so important. Well, now we're going to turn to the world of sports. And I know that I sometimes talk about sports on Culture Watch. I don't often, but sometimes the world of politics and sports uh, crisscrosses and overlaps, and this is such a case. Uh, this next story is about the hiring of the newest head coach for the New England Patriots. 
Is a new season of wokeness beginning with the NFL? The New England Patriots introducing Gerard Mayo as their new head coach after parting ways with legendary coach Bill Belichick after 24 seasons. But Mayo is already causing controversy after bringing up racism during his first press conference. I do see color because I believe if you don't see color, you can't see racism. I want you to be able to go up to those people and really understand those people. So it goes back to whatever it is, black, white, yellow, it really doesn't matter. But it does matter so we can try to fix a problem that we all know we have. It's a stark contrast to what another black head coach said about race last season. Take a listen to this from Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach Todd Bowles. We don't look at what color we are when we coach against each other. We just know each other. I have a lot of very good white friends that coach in this league as well. And we coach ball. We don't look at color. Interesting, the contrast. So if you don't see color, does that mean you can't be a racist, Jesse? Well, I see color. I mean, I can't deny I don't see color. I look at Obama and I see that he's half white. But if you have to see color to see racism, I do agree with that statement. But if all you see is color, then all you're going to see is racism. And that's the point. I don't think this coach is like Coach Kaepernick. Bob Kraft, the owner, would never do that. Yeah. This guy was asked a question. He's the first black coach. It's a very special day for him. He answered the question. Perhaps seeing color is good when it comes to recruitment or hiring to get empathy and insight. But this guy knows the NFL is a meritocracy. If he all he sees is color and he goes, oh, and 16, he's done. <laughs> and at levels like this, Judge, where you're talking about the highest level of performance, you're talking about NFL, Wall Street, rocket science, performance trumps everything <laughs> when that much money is on the line. And Todd Bowles was asked about him facing off against a black coach. I think it was the Pittsburgh coach. They're both like in the league for so many years. They don't even give it a second thought. Mm -hmm. They're just going up against their colleague. And, you know, the the more they focus on race, the less they're focusing on X's and O's. And then it just becomes a distraction. I have no idea how great of a coach Gerard Mayo is going to be. It's a tough legacy to follow up on Bill Belichick, but. Then again, it was tough for Bill Belichick to follow up on his legacy with Tom Brady. The seasons that he's had after Tom Brady left, I believe it's three, he's won very few games. Maybe ten. Maybe a couple more than that, but not very many. He's had three basically losing seasons in New England after the departure of Tom Brady. So even Bill Belichick after Brady was a hard legacy to live up to the legacy that he had with Tom Brady. But definitely Tom Belichick is without a doubt revered as one of the best coaches of all time. So anyone following up on his legacy is going to find it challenging. And as Jesse said in this piece, it is clear that he was asked a question about his race. But I have to tell you, it's very disappointing the way that the media asks this question, because there have been plenty of black coaches in the NFL now. Sure, there have been franchises that have never had a black coach, but I think this idea that going to more black coaches or almost exclusively black coaches 
is diversity is wrong. I remember uh, a few months back, I think it was last season in the NFL, uh, there was a time when they were having a full referee crew of black officials, and they said, this is diversity. No, it's not. It's not diversity to do that. It's reverse racism. It's overcompensation. I remember when Lovey Smith and Tony Dungy faced off against each other in the Super Bowl. One of them was going to be the first black coach to win a Super Bowl. I do understand that there is a certain measure of significance there. But I think it was definitely overemphasized. Every time you turned on the TV or the radio, you heard somebody talking about how significant it was that they were going to be the first black coaches in the Super Bowl and that one of them was going to win. And for both Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith, the important thing for them was we're just going to go out and we're going to coach the best football game we know how to coach and the best man is going to win. And that is the same attitude of Todd Bowles, the current coach of the Buccaneers. He seems to be very much in the dungy cloth. I'm almost certain that he is a believer. And he's just very even-keeled and very um, fair. And he addresses complicated questions with aplomb. You heard his response to this question from last season when he was talking about facing Mike Tomlin, who, by the way, is one of the longest-tenured coaches in the NFL. And it's not because he's black. It's because he's a good football coach, and that should be rewarded. The reality is, Gerard Mayo may end up being a very good coach. He may even be great. We don't know. Every coach has their first coaching job. Every coach has a time before they become great. But when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I, dream, I have a dream speech and said, I hope that my children aren't judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He was talking about this. He was saying, don't make a big deal about me being black one way or the other. Don't say I can't do something because I'm black. And don't say that the only reason I can do something is because I'm black. Just judge the content of my character. And as Michael Knowles famously said a while back, one of the reasons we struggle to do this is that we don't even know what character means anymore. Because we have focused on externals, we have majored on minors, and we are in a very lost place as a culture right now. So I wish the best to Gerard Mayo, but Gerard, if I can encourage you in something, I would encourage you not to be the best black man you can be, but to be the best man you can be. Your skin color should not matter to the success of your career as a coach or to your ability to teach your players what it means to be good men. 
We turn now to a Democratic lawmaker who apparently thinks that it would be a good idea to get rid of the Statue of Liberty. Say hello to Gen Z Congressman Maxwell Frost. (laughs) In an attempt to stick it to the racist Republicans who believe in borders, little Maxie is suggesting that the GOP wants to get rid of the Statue of Liberty. Don't welcome immigrants if you plan to reject them. If you keep pushing your bigoted H.R. 2 bill, then also pass this bill. I've taken the liberty of drafting it for you. It removes the Statue of Liberty, our largest symbol that tells people to come here. This is who you are, removing the fabric of America. (laughs) Sorry, Max. Lady Liberty ain't going anywhere. And the American people completely disagree with Democrats' open borders insanity. I'll let Charlemagne explain why. I honestly have never spoken to as many people who are concerned about the migrant issue as I have, you know, over the past year. People were calling the radio station. That was just this week, you know, really, really, really complaining about that. So I've never seen, you know, working class people who I interact with every day until this past year really, really, really express their frustration for the migrants. I believe immigration is the canary in the coal mine for all of Joe Biden's ills. In the ABC poll that came out over the weekend, he was at 18 percent approval on immigration. And so that was like Max Frost and his buddies that he goes to brunch with on Sundays. And, you know, he goes to brunch Um, and Biden is doing nothing about it. Right. I hate brunch. Um, Biden's doing nothing about changing the border policies. He's suing Texas. He's uh, he's blaming Texas National Guardsmen for murder and then when proven wrong, they won't take it back. And he won't take the Republicans up on their offer to get money for Ukraine and money for Israel that Biden wants. What they're asking for is tougher border enforcement. Maybe they're not going to be able to swallow all of it. But why not take the Republicans up on their offer? And if the Republicans vote it down, run on that and say, I tried. And if they take you up on it, then take credit for the fact that you were able to stem the flow before the election. And why would he want to do that? I want to point out something that It's not just Biden's job approval numbers that are going down. And this is why you're starting to see a lot of agitation, including from people like uh, Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan. All of these polls are starting to come in for House Democrats, especially ones in kind of districts where you might be able to get a Republican through. And their numbers are way down. So Biden is dragging down the entire ticket, whereas Trump would be able to improve that, maybe even keep the House for the Republicans. Piro, do you hate brunch? And what do you think of Maxie? I don't like brunch and I don't like Maxie. Is that all? Is <laughs> that all fine. I have to say? You can okay, I, I just want to say something about the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty was a gift from France. It came here in 1886. At that time, we had an immigration law in this country where you came here, you had to be uh, on Ellis Island, you had to be screened and you had to be documented, you had to be tested, that uh, you had to be vaccinated, and you could only come in if you had a sponsor or if you were self-reliant. Okay, this guy doesn't know his history. And, you know, the truth is, if you understood the background of of the Statue of Liberty, it's a symbol of freedom and democracy. It doesn't mean everybody just show up and we'll take care of you. This Maxwell Frost does not understand history, as Janine Perraro so aptly pointed out. It is a common saying that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And this is why I think that history is so important for our students, for our children, because they need to understand the context of everything. 
Yes, the Statue of Liberty welcomes everyone who wants to come here, but there are requirements to come here. It's not you can come here no matter what. It's not you can come here and do your own thing and not follow the laws of our country. We have laws in our country because that's how you have order. Anarchy leads to chaos. Just look at the book of Judges. In the first chapter of the book of Judges, we read about the people of Israel after Joshua died, they served the Lord, and after the elders that served with Joshua died, they stopped serving the Lord because there arose a generation that knew not God. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the first chapter of Judges. And throughout the book of Judges, you see the people of Israel coming back to God and repenting and God saving them. And then they would depart from God and God would allow them to go through punishment from heathen nations. And then they would repent and God would save them again. And it was over and over and over and over again. This cycle continued until you get to the last chapter of Judges and it says the same thing. There was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in their own eyes. So you have this same message in the first and the last chapter of Judges. And this is the America that the liberal left is pushing for. They don't want any moral authority in this country. They want everyone to embrace their truth. And they don't want to have standards for living here. They don't want America to be a melting pot where you can come in and let people know about your culture, but you embrace first and foremost being an American. They'd rather be an ice cube tray where you come to America and you find your own corner of America and you do your own thing and you seek to expand non-American ideas on American shores and gradually infiltrate freedom and liberty and replace it with oppression. That's what America is like today. And we need to fight against that. We need to embrace the Statue of Liberty. But we need to tell the truth about it. The fact of the matter is that we are able to take the tired and the weary and the huddled masses specifically because we have standards and rules and guidelines and laws. What did God say to the people of Israel? I have set before you life and death, therefore choose life that you and your descendants may live. God gives his guidelines in scripture, not because he wants to be oppressive, but because he wants to, us to live in freedom. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The devil wants you to believe that any guidelines or rules are oppression because he knows that you may have pleasure in supposed personal liberty here on earth, being able to do whatever you want, being able to embrace your truth. But the proverb says there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we have a choice here in our culture now to either allow this to continue or to stand for truth. As Alexis de Tocqueville once said, America 
is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. And some people who say that I'm overly political and say that you shouldn't talk about politics if you're a Christian, let me just say that the goodness of America is become greatness because it was founded on the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, not every founding father was a believer, but several of them were. And they loved the Lord and they wanted to have a government where the Lord was glorified. And this whole separation of church and state thing, it's not accurate. Because the whole point of that phrase from Thomas Jefferson was to not have a state church. To not have a church of England in America. Not have a church of America, but to allow people to have their own churches and their own religious beliefs. But it was never about taking God out of the equation. And now we have chaos reigning free in much of America, and we scratch our heads and we wonder why, but it's because as a culture, we look everywhere but up. So let's look up, let's find our liberty in Jesus Christ, and then we can offer liberty to those who come to America because we realize that liberty is founded in the immutable truths of life. The Founding Fathers said we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Notice that the pursuit of happiness is not the acquisition of happiness. We all have the same opportunities here in America to pursue success, but we don't all have the same outcomes. Or maybe a better way to say it is that we all have the same potential for opportunities in America, but not the same outcomes. You see, I have faced a lot of discrimination because of my disability in this country. But I still feel free. I don't feel oppressed by the nation. When I have been discriminated against, I blame the discriminators, not the nation. So there's a lot of good food for thought there. But it starts with a proper understanding of our history as a nation. And our nation is founded on Judeo-Christian values. As a matter of fact, Moses is still carved on a building in Washington, D.C. Particularly, I believe, the Supreme Court building. And he was the first human lawgiver 
ordained by God to pass on his law to the children of Israel. And it was because that God wanted to preserve the people of his choosing. Incidentally, that is why we should be continuing to pray for the peace of Jerusalem because the Jews are still and always will be God's chosen people. And we as Gentiles have the wonderful opportunity and privilege of being grafted in and being able to embrace the promise of salvation through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm about to wrap up this broadcast, but I wanted to share with you one final story. I'm a Lions fan. I've endured a lot of frustrating seasons as a Lions fan. One of my favorite things to say is that the Lions are great at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And this season, I have to say that I've been very pleased that there have been many times when they may have folded like an empty wallet, but instead they bucked up and got the win. Probably the most exciting regular season win was when they were down uh, by several points to the Bears with four minutes to go, and they came back and won. It was unbelievable. And there have been several other times when they could have folded like an empty wallet, and they did not. I think back on the first season game with the Chiefs, where I thought they were lucky to hold it close in the first half, and they were going to destruct in the second half and lose, and they ended up winning by one point. Well, that set them on track for a 12-5 and regular season record and set them on course for their first home playoff game in 30-plus years. And it was a showdown against Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams. Jared up under center. Takes the snap, turns, gives the buck up there. Yeah! Into the end zone, touchdown Detroit Lions. Jared leans in, there's the snap. Fakes the give. Nope, gave it to give. Straight up the yes, gut. Sir. To the end zone. Touchdown Detroit Lions. Oh, baby, Jared handing it off. Gibbs taking it home. And the Lions are up 13-3. to in one year when they faced the Bucks in the divisional round 
on Sunday the 21st. So hopefully I will have a positive report on that next week, but I am just very excited about these Lions. I hope that they sure up some things in the secondary when they play the Bucks, so that we can have an even more assertive victory. But it was so exciting for me as a Lions fan to witness that. And I really feel like this is a very strong team. When I was a little kid and they won in uh, 1991, I believe it was, I don't remember having much of an opinion on the team as a whole because I was too young to analyze the players and look at the season as a whole. But I just have a really positive feeling about these guys, and I just feel like they're uh, working together as a team. We have two running backs in Jameer Gibbs and David Henry, and they're working together. Um, they're just lights out, and they love encouraging one another to be better. It's not about one over the other. I just feel like team is a big part of this team, and that can make them successful against any one of uh, the teams in this playoff. And another thing that I would say is in previous seasons, there has been a definite dominant team uh, going into the playoffs, and that hasn't been the case for this particular season. I think three out of the four division leaders in the NFC had 12-5 and five records. So very similar teams going up against one another, which means anything can happen on any given Sunday. And if the Lions beat the Bucks and the Packers beat the 49ers, which it's a tall ask for both of those things to happen, but if it does happen that way, then the Lions could actually host the NFC Championship next week as well. So we'll just have to see how that shakes out. Uh, I did want to say one little thing before I end about the Iowa caucus. Um, Donald Trump won resoundingly in Iowa with over 51% of the vote. And then Ron DeSantis came in second and Nikki Haley third. Now, I thought it was interesting that Nikki Haley made a comment that this is a two-person race, basically saying that it was between her and Trump, despite the fact that DeSantis beat her. I think it might be because of the projections that she has in other states based on the polls. But again, I'm a little upset at the way the media dictates that this should be over already, even though we've just begun the primary season. Above all, I hope that you will pray for good and godly leaders to be raised up in the 2024 election. I hope that you will get out and um, vote for who you think is the best for each individual office that you get a chance to vote for. Not who the media is telling you is best, but who you really feel aligns with your values. And I hope that you will not take it for granted that we have the opportunity to make our voice heard. The reality is that there are a lot of nations that don't get the chance to make their voice heard, and they would love to be in the position that we are in as Americans. Well, that's about all I have time to share with you this week. I hope that you 
Have a wonderful week. And whatever you're doing, that you feel God with you and that you sense his faithfulness to you. With that being said, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 